Blog Talk Radio. program on Blog Talk Radio. It's Tuesday, May 28th, 2013. I'm your host, Michael Gordon. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about blame and moving to self-responsibility, particularly leaving blame behind and moving from martyrdom to self-responsibility. If you're tuning into the program, you are listening uh, possibly live. And if you are, welcome to the show. You can uh, join our chat forum on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the mind whisperer. Uh, you can also call into the show. The uh, number is listed on the website. Uh, it's 347-945-7891. That's area code 347-945-7891. Love to have you uh, call in with your comments or questions about anything uh, related or unrelated to the episode today. And if you are listening on uh, iTunes or uh, to one of the archived um, to the archive program on Blog Talk Radio. Appreciate you checking in and following in and uh, the program and and um, being part of it uh, that way. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, which is uh, surprisingly Facebook.com forward slash Mind Whisper. So welcome to the show today. Uh, this is a very very potent subject in terms of how it shows up in our lives. And uh, it, in all of our relationships, it really comes down to a fundamental aspect of how we relate and uh, communicate and tie a lot of the themes that have been exploring on this program over the last few weeks together. Um, so let's dive right into the, su- the subject and talk about what we mean by uh, blame and martyrdom and self-responsibility. Very loaded you know, uh, terms. We need to unpack those a little bit and uh, and explore what you know what we're talking about here. And before I forget, you know, I just want to tie this into uh, looking at the way that our on the macro level that our society is organized and how it's in, you know sort of uh, reflecting, if you will, or embodying the the um, these dysfunctional sort of relational patterns. Um, and how we enable that and tolerate that as a society and how it shows up. Up here in Canada, where I'm broadcasting from, um, many of you know, you know, it's becoming the international news that uh, Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto, and his brother Doug Ford, the councillor on the city council, are embroiled in, um, uh, you know, media controversy surrounding uh, the mayor allegedly being on videotape um, in what appears to be him smoking from a crack pipe, um, you know, in an illicit uh, setting, and um, you know the, the the flat out denials of the mayor and his brother that uh, that this is possible that the mayor, that the video even exists. Um, but there is kind of a non denial denial going on, to use a media term, which means that without coming right out and saying it, um, you know, he is trying to deny it, but he, he's not able to come out and flatly say 
it didn't happen. He's never done crack cocaine. But the bottom line is, my perspective on what is related to today's show, and that is that the, the mayor and his brother are portraying this as uh, a victimization uh, campaign, a uh, persecution campaign by the Toronto Star and other media outlets um, to personally attack them. And, uh, you know, these are public figures. They're elected. They, they have been entrusted by the public um, Regardless of whether people individually voted for them or not, they are now representative of of the, the people of Toronto, and they have a mandate to uphold the dignity and the um, uh, integrity of public office. You know, representing the people and the people's concerns and and the integrity of the people of Toronto. And so, we can say the same thing um, with our Senate scandal here in Canada that um, uh, one of the conservative uh, senators um, was found to have uh, claimed illegitimate expenses, and uh, you know came clean su- supposedly to the public and said, "I will pay back the ninety thousand dollars in housing expenses, which are not eligible." And uh, first of all, he misled you know the, the Senate that uh, where, what his primary residence was, and he got caught. So there's some question there about his integrity. And second of all, he you know reportedly you know came clean and paid this bill, but the bill was actually paid for out of pocket by the chief of staff of our head of government and the prime minister. And uh, this is you know, a direct violation by anybody's standards of, uh, you know, the Senate laws, which and the government, the, um, the, the laws that uh, both houses that were, you know, um, forbid any kind of gifts or, you know, influence peddling or favoritism to sitting politicians. And again, um, you know, the Prime Minister wants to distance himself and say, well, it was just an error in judgment on my staffer and the staffer has resigned. But again, it, it, it uh, points to a lack of integrity to say that this happened under my watch and um, within my government and the culture of my government. Um, so let's bring that back on the personal level and repeat, a, you know, very briefly a theme that's been going on the show uh, the beginning, which is, looking at how we are conditioned early on, what's supposed to happen, what falls apart. What's supposed to happen is that you get secure, nurturing, and uh, attentive parenting, and this fosters a sense of um, healthy uh, interdependence as a being that you that you learn to be dependent, first of all, and that that's there for you. And then as you appropriately develop uh, in every way, um, including you know, neurologically, uh, as well as socially and emotionally, you um, develop a, a sort of autonomy as a being, and you can push the boundaries of um, and your tolerance for um, having time on your own and not being completely dependent on your parents or your caregivers and uh, form your own relationships, but you still are within the nest of security there within your own family. And that's those secure connections and that sense of being in community and having some kind of parental structure and familial structure around you, whether you increase it through family, friends, and work colleagues, it, it, it lasts forever. It's, it's, a, it's an, again, an embodied or an internalized sense of well-being and, and um, being loved and being okay as a person. Um, now, you can see people who are insecure about that and remain sort of in arrested development and are constantly out, you know, seeking, you know, uh, um, approval or well-being, you know, uh, in an in an erotic way by constant needing attention, et cetera. So how does that show up 
in as conflict and dysfunction and and what do we mean by martyrdom and blame in relationships? Well, for people who grew up with that disrupted process where that doesn't occur, where they are left in doubt and in disarray because those secure relationships and that development does not take place, then they're constantly in doubt. It's what we call insecure attachment. And so those of us who grow up in that environment um, have a very a great difficulty developing secure relationships because we're not carrying that core sense of security about ourselves. And so we're constantly setting up and attracting situations to try and resolve that, if you will. And But it, and what ends up happening is we keep playing it out. And uh, this is what Freud referred to as a repetition compulsion, that we just keep playing it out and manifesting it subconsciously, but not really doing anything about it. So we keep thinking that we're choosing new situations and moving forward, but if those core things are not solved, we just replicate it. And this is a disaster for us. And so people who have um, a really pronounced difficulty with this in a pathological sense, I don't mean in a, in a um, ambitious or evil sense, but in a um, in a pervasive, ongoing, very deep-rooted sense, that's what I mean by pathology, in a, in a sort of a functional sense, um, can end up with what we call um, personality disorders, and the one that's um, historically been used as a borderline personality disorder, but it can, it's now being uh, evolved with new diagnostic language uh, into antisocial personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, et cetera, et cetera. But it's fundamentally what it's saying is these people have a very difficult time forming secure relationships and create a lot of drama around themselves and um, can experience very highs and lows of engaging other people uh, as, as projections and as, um, you know, outer manipulations of their own internal disarray with uh, I'm okay, I'm not okay. And so you see these highs and lows in relationships and putting people on the pedestal or then they become the person that they can't stand and, and very insecure relational patterns. And so you can see someone... Uh, like Rob Ford or his brother or even, unfortunately, our Prime Minister here in Canada, operating in this way of distancing themselves and one minute they're holding everyone to be fully accountable uh, for operating to that level, but then when it affects them that they distance themselves or you know, deflect away from responsibility and then vilify other people for it, particularly with the Ford brothers in Toronto, this is a very pronounced thing. So there's the flat-out denial, there's the, um, now they're starting to name, and call the media and then coming back and apologizing to the media and it's this really erratic uh, form of uh, emotional behavior and these are sitting politicians and these are people who are um, supposed to be again upholding the integrity of their office and in lesser circumstances people have resigned and in fact uh, the key people in government um, have resigned already three of them in the top post in the Toronto mayor's office and um, the chief of staff, as I mentioned, to the Prime Minister of Canada resigned over this Senate scandal. So um, those are clear examples where people are recognizing that, they're, that they are at the core of this dysfunctional be, uh, behavior and uh, recognizing the consequences of it and appropriately withdrawing from the situation and saying, you know, this was an error in my behavior or judgment. Sorry, there's a very loud uh, garbage truck right outside the studio window here. Bad timing with the radio show this morning. Um, so 
when we are over-operating from this sense of um, not being secure in ourselves, this leads to this martyr-like behavior. And what that means is we are constantly seeking approval in this pathological way, and we do things for other people, and we are secretly holding them responsible for whether we feel good about ourselves or not, and, and needing the approval and um, needing the immediate feedback for our, for our actions and our, our doing what we perceive ourselves to be doing good for that person. And that could be a real setup for the other person to not even know that they're being um, held accountable in that way. So let me give you an example is, um, you know, somebody does a favor for somebody without being asked. And then because the person doesn't recognize that they, the other person is going out of their way or the level to which that person is expecting praise, again, in that sort of setup kind of way, and then they become punished for not noticing or not, um, you know, re- reciprocating or responding or acknowledging that as a altruistic act. And, you know, we can see that in the way that we have sort of neurotic parenting where the, the mother says, pick up after yourself, uh, clean up your room, and then goes and cleans the room up for the child and then punishes the child for not having cleaned it or, or in, a, in a maybe passive-aggressive way lets the child know, you know, well, I did it for you, but I'm angry and I'm resentful about it. And this is a very, you know, you're teaching very unhealthy boundaries to a child when you do that. If you're, you're going to teach responsibility to the child, then you point out that this everyone in the family has to clean up and this is something that's important to learn how to do for yourself and, um, and enable the child to make the right choice. But if you take responsibility for that child and then punish them afterwards for it, it's a very confusing message. And we see this in all of our relationships, marital relationships, work relationships. Somebody takes on too much work, and again, they're secretly and privately holding the resentment. Why does nobody notice I do everything around here? And that's not to say that they're not doing the work, and the work shouldn't be rewarded, not by any stretch. But when you engage in that kind of behavior, and you're holding everyone else accountable without it being out in the open and without um, setting your own limits and boundaries, then you are responsible for setting that situation up. And behaving like a martyr, you know, like a like a, a victim. And by martyr, I mean someone who's making sacrifices and not being acknowledged and and expecting um, sympathy and pity. And this is the negative attribute of, uh, it's the negative face of empathy and compassion is sympathy. Sympathy is, um, we think of it as being empathy, but it's not. Empathy is, is um, sensing, appreciating, relating, personally, to what someone else's um, uh, dis-ease or or, um, uh, suffering, really. And sympathy is perceiving someone else to be in discomfort, but in a distance kind of way. And it it becomes a pitying kind of behavior. It's a very condescending aspect, as opposed to empathy, which is saying, I know, I'm trying to understand how you feel. I'm putting myself in your shoes and trying to understand. I've felt that way myself and, and maybe not the same way. And therefore, you're relating or trying to relate on a compassionate, you know, human level with the other person. Where sympathy is to say, I feel sorry for you. It's a distancing kind of uh, uh, approach. And, uh, and so that becomes very critical um, because it creates separation. It creates a sense of hierarchy and it creates a sense of... Um, uh, otherness that uh, as long as I'm okay, you know, it's too bad other people are going through bad things. And this becomes very competitive. It has a sort of very destructive quality to it. 
rather than saying, you know, our well-being is is interrelated, that, um, you know, that society or our family is only as strong and happy as we are as a whole, that we are all interconnected, and not in a codependent way that, you know, I have to know you're okay for me to be okay, but there's a sense of, of being tuned into one another and caring about one another versus uh, caretaking. So, again, a sign of insecurity is that you are overly caring for somebody else. You're overly concerned that your actual core security is is bound up in monitoring and, in a way, kind of controlling other people's um, well-being or behavior. And so this you see this also in relationships of any kind of marital relationships or spousal or romantic relationships, whatever you want to call them, um, or work relationships, and you're over-operating, a sense of kind of codependent, um, you know, hypervigilance to what the other person is doing. And if you trace that back to childhood, it's it's the child who's not receiving that secure uh, or experiencing that secure sense of um, nurturing an environment and is, is looking in a very um, neurotic way where is that secure parent and scanning the world and 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 um, because the parent is supposed to be doing that the child is then thrown into confusion maybe they're reading into it or there's something wrong with them for being distressed about that and so they become distorted in a way that they look at that parenting role and thus their self-worth and also then become overly focused on trying subconsciously to get the parent to do that for them. And so this migrates into other relationships. People-pleasing being the most important one. That's a form of martyrdom. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's an, a bottomless well of trying to get light. And it can appear that you're just being a good person or a good employee and a good worker, but you are actually martyring yourself. You're actually, the more that you put your attention on the other person and trying to get a reward, the more you're giving away your own personal power. And you can see how this is disastrous in our relationships. So how do we revert that? Well, there's a very important component to this about correcting that pattern. And it's really a a reversal, an inversion of um, a way that we orient ourselves to experience in the world. And this is quite complex, but I'll make it very simple. And that is mostly what we do is we are engaged with other people and we kind of through our own filters or perceiving what's happening and say that that's, that's the situation. And, and because it affects us in a certain way, we perceive that to be reality. But, the, you know, truthfully, we are very subjective beings and we all bring our own baggage into situations. And um, the more self-accountable and responsible uh, way to conduct ourselves is to say, I am uh, just the sum of what I bring to the situation to begin with. I'm a person who experiences the world through my own filters of experience and and, uh, past experience and biases and my thoughts and feelings. That is how I'm going to perceive situations, and that determines actually the quality of interactions that I have. And so it, it drives the responsibility back onto yourself to say, how am I perceiving the situation? That doesn't mean it's your fault. Far from it. It just means that it's a, it's a more honest, accountable way of saying this situation might be fundamentally is as much a product of how I'm seeing it as um, what it actually is. And that allows you to first make it your first priority to question yourself and say, am I coming to the situation from a sense of um, entitlement or 
victimhood or um, martyrdom and how, and, you know, is that something that is in my conditioning and my patterns and is that affecting how I'm looking at this relationship? My sister never calls me. My, you know, brothers always ask me for favors, um, you know, and we use these generalizations and that really is one way to catch ourselves if we are operating from that uh, victimhood, martyr-like blaming place. You know, so if we start to use that generalized language and, and those, um, especially absolute terms in, in terms of uh, time and and uh, how we characterize situations, you never uh, call. You know, we have the 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 um, cliche, you know, with the the the, the guilty the mother makes us feel guilty. You never call. How, how come you never call me? You leave your poor mother. Fair enough. A mother wants a you know son or daughter to call them, and that's something you won't experience unless you're a mother. But you know the child will experience that as guilty and as a, as a um, becoming a burden, being a burden to their parents, or not being good enough for their parents. And you know it's partly about just the parent asking for what they need, because the parent wants to feel a connection with the child, and maybe the parents are also operating from uh, insecurity and neurosis as a parent. And so it's about taking responsibility and saying, this is what I feel, this is what I need, rather than projecting it and saying, you're not doing this for me. So that's one way we can catch that, is, is that is just uh, our language is indicative of what's going on in our thoughts and feelings and our, and our conditioning. You never call, you never write, um, I, or, or, we, we, or we take that onto ourselves and become that victim and say, you know, nothing I say is ever good enough. And, you know, there may be a legitimate feeling under there. I'm hurt. I'm feeling judged. Um, I'm feeling insecure about the situation. Those are valid feelings. But when we characterize it in those, in those uh, generalized absolute terms, you know, I'm never good enough, it, it's a sign that it's um, triggering something on a much deeper, more profound level of, of self-acceptance and self-worth that comes from something not complete in our past. And um, it's typically going to relate to that parenting dynamic. So what's more appropriate is to say, okay, you know, this situation is making me feel this, or I'm feeling this as a result of the situation, and and that's something I'm trying to cope with. Then you're taking responsibility. You're saying, uh, it's my feeling, my thought, and um, and I think it's related to what's going on in the situation. So certainly someone may be bullying at at work, or somebody may be um, not... Respecting your feelings or your your act, you know your your contributions in the marriage, um, but it's up to us to let the other person know. It's up to us to take action on that. And if we sit back and expect things to come to us from that sense of entitlement, it is it, it is a setup um, for this kind of martyr-like behavior. And rather, what we want to be doing is again to say. It begins with me and how I perceive the world. All of us are, are creating and shaping the world through our thoughts and feelings and our conditioning. Then let me look at how I might be perceiving the situation. Then that might be determining my relationship with other people and, and situations. And therefore, I can approach communication from that point of view. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling and seeing. These are what my needs are. And you negotiate. You negotiate situations, or you present a, a, a concern or a need, 
uh, or uh, a, you know to the situation and negotiate. That's a healthy boundary because you're operating from a sense of intact, self-derived um, uh, value and action. So that's what we mean by um, self-accountability, self-responsibility. Is we're, we're moving away from always seeing the world as happening to us and rather say that we are a part of the world, we're co-creating situations in the world, and that we're responsible for um, our own experience and how we determine um, what's right or wrong for ourselves and setting our own standards. Um, you know, coming back to the public sphere, Rob Ford and his brother, you know, it was their agenda and their campaign to get into public office. And presumably that was to serve the, the, the greater good through political service, civil service, but that is the fundamental principle of seeking office and being given that opportunity is to serve, you know, civic society through um, through uh, respecting the position you've been handed. It's, it's, it's not a mandate. It, I, I find that very troublesome when politicians say, we've got a mandate. Well, you've, you've got the majority vote, perhaps, and you've got the office. But, but mandate is a very... Um, loose uh, term to throw around in terms of us, again, being entitled now with an agenda. Um, because you represent all the people that, that uh, are the electorate, not just those that voted for you. So you may have the mandate of what you consider the majority, but in democratic terms, the majority may not actually be the majority of people in society. They may be the percentage of the people who were eligible to vote. So here in British Columbia, it was 40, I believe it was 40 6% or 48%, it was less than 50% of the eligible voters who voted in our provincial election here. So how can you have a mandate, even though you had a majority with the people who actually voted? Fair enough, those are the people who showed up. But in terms of our overall sense of justice and civil society, for whatever other reason other people didn't vote, you cannot punish them but, or exclude them because they, they didn't vote and say, well, too bad. Now they have to suffer our political agenda from the percentage that did show up and, and vote. I know that may seem antithetical, but, you know, fundamentally everybody deserves, you know, universal rights to, um, to be served by government. And so coming back to the Fords in Toronto, it, it starts to show up their sense of entitlement and, and, uh, and being victimized by the media. The media is doing its job. It's holding them under great scrutiny. Accusations have been made. And the allegations are uh, not conclusive, but they are corroborated by three different journalists who have seen this video. And um, now the deputy mayor has said that he's spoken to one of the Toronto Star reporters and said, um, I believe that she said, you know, that she's telling the truth when she said she saw this video and she believes, you know, that it was Rob Ford in the video smoking crack cocaine. He's not saying I'm proving that the video exists or that I've seen it. But it starts to corroborate the witness accounts, and and these are reporters, and you know they're trained observers and reporters. And uh, at some point, you know the accountability falls back on these two individuals to say that they, regardless of whether the accusations are true or not, they're there. And the fact that they're there, and they're creating such um, uh, chaos and uh, such a, such a um, um, controversy in the public undermines their ability to uphold the integrity of that office. And that's what, you know, the politicians will criticize other politicians for when they're 
when they're in the opposition. And in fact, this is what happened with uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. You know, um, there was another public scandal with the Liberal government many years ago, and he was, you know, publicly stated, you know, if you hold that office, if I held the office of Prime Minister, I would resign if anybody in my government did anything that was beneath the integrity of that, um, you know, office and that title. And here he is clearly saying, oh, well, um, my chief of staff resigned. Good enough. It wasn't me. I didn't know. This is a defense that did not hold up, for example, in in uh, in the Nazi uh, regime. Well, we talked a full half hour here. It's amazing how time goes by. I've just got the warning. I've only got a minute left. Um, obviously, this is a very deep topic and um, something that, that I feel very strong about, and I think it's very valuable, and uh, perhaps we'll do another show on it, maybe get a guest on. Uh, but you've been listening to uh, The Mind Whisperer. My name is Michael Gordon. And we've been talking about moving into self-responsibility and away from martyrdom and blame. I'm hoping that this has been very valuable for you. And um, you can take this away and look at yourself and your actions and where there's been conflict and difficulty in your life and and maybe approach it from a, a different perspective and, and move more in this direction. Take care. We'll see you next time on The Mind Whisperer. I'm Michael Gordon. Be well.